This is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Marco Strang, the CEO and co-founder of Genesis Group. Marco and I had a great conversation. He has been in this space since 2013. Uh, he studied mathematics at one of the prestigious universities in Munich and launched Genesis Group uh, seven years ago to focus on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And so this was a great conversation to learn more about the overall mining space. We talked about uh, how things have changed over the last seven years and some of the narratives there. We also talked about what happened last week, uh, the week of March 26th. There was a change in the network's hash rate. And so we talked and we gave some analogies uh, about how this all affects the overall ecosystem. Um, and so for those that are trying to understand what this means and how it's important um, in terms of difficulties, in terms of hash rate, there are some great analogies here to help you through that. Um, we also talked about the halving, which is, uh, as of today, the 31st of March, happening in 43 days, why this is important. Um, and Marco hit on a really great point about efficiencies. And so it's great to hear from someone who has had so much experience talk about that. We also talked about something called Genesis Hive, which is something they're also working on. And then lastly, we also talked about COVID and how it's affecting the overall business and overall landscape of Bitcoin and mining. And then we learned a little bit uh, more about Marco and some fun things about uh, some things he's reading and some music he likes. So this is a great conversation. Remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice. And the opinions shared here are not those of those with Arca. So please remember to do your own research. And on the flip side, you will hear a great conversation with Marco Strang, the CEO and co-founder of Genesis Group. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Marco Strang, the CEO and co-founder of Genesis Group with me today. Marco, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to this conversation. We have had some people on the show talking about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Marco has been in the game since around 2013, so years of experience here, which will yield us some really great insights. Marco, what we'd like to do when we first start off uh, on the show is to get a little bit of background about you. So I see that you studied mathematics at Ludwig uh, Maximilian University of Munich. Also, uh, you says I said, you started Genesis Group in 2013. What we'd like to do is not necessarily focus on the when Bitcoin moment, uh, but what about the technology? What about the underpinning of the the blockchain, if you will, really resonate with you to start uh, a company focusing on the Bitcoin mining side? Yeah, so um, I, that's actually um, a very good question. So um, I was actually really attracted by Bitcoin and by the whole idea of blockchain when I first read about it around 2011 um, and I saw that um, you have really a completely transparent, um, uh, how can I say, ecosystem uh, in a way where you can even track and you can see every transaction that is happening uh, on the blockchain. And uh, I mean, you couldn't resolve to, uh, the identities behind that, uh, those transactions, but you could see really what's happening. You could see how much uh, how much um, money is moving from one place to another. And uh, I mean, I was coming from mathematics, and I really I started actually by because I was really curious and actually what's really happening behind the whole 
uh, industry and I was uh, modeling the blockchain um, as a graph and tried one of my first uh, interesting projects there was actually I tried to um, find cash flow patterns and try to correlate that to uh, uh, Bitcoin price movements because I thought that maybe there are whales like what's actually the the distribution of the coins and maybe there are whales or some formations where you can see like coins flowing into the uh, exchanges and then price moves are happening and uh, actually along that way I realized that the market is uh, very inefficient and like uh, <clears throat> and there's a lot a lot of things that were emerging during that time like uh, um, a lot more service providers came on top and um, and uh, yeah and uh, it was like I, I got sucked into the community basically by that time and, and never left it because it was just so exciting for me. That's an awesome story. So if you could, for the listeners out there, discuss what Genesis Group is in about a minute or two. Sure. So, well, I mean, um, I think we as the Genesis Group, we believe and we see that um, in the future, um, we need to have more uh, data centers and we need to have more um, uh, computing infrastructure in order to supply all of this growing demand of like self-driving cars, of like all the computations that are happening. I mean, there's so much more digital processing. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, one of the major things, uh, blockchain is also requiring quite a lot of computing capacity. And uh, we came from blockchain um, and uh, built data centers and mining facilities and I mean, Probably everybody knows Genesis Mining as one of the leading operators in the space, but we have expanded that to the group and also um, um, next to uh, blockchain infrastructure, we also um, offer uh, general high-performance computing infrastructure with a company called Genesis Cloud. And, um, and there are some other companies and they're all a part of the Genesis group. And and our vision is, re is to... Um, really make this um, this whole like digital infrastructure accessible for everybody for the uh, best for really the, the the best prices also possible so that uh, as many people have access to it and we really want to know we use all of our know-how and what we learned in the mining space where it's absolutely essential to to have the highest efficiency in costs. And we expanded that to also AI infrastructure rendering and these applications. So all things being fair in the world out there, and it relates to Bitcoin mining, you have your equipment and there's a few obviously competitors out there. There are some technological advances to each of those competitors that come out with new versions of those miners basically every year, give or take. And so all things being fair, you know, the equipment is usually kind of on par. Maybe there's slight advantages here and there, but where it really becomes interesting is energy and where you can access the lowest cost energy. Is that correct? That is certainly one of the major parts. I would say like there are three uh, main components that determine competitiveness in, uh, in a space like mining and uh, energy is one. 
The other is the uh, the data center infrastructure it, itself, like the layout of the data center, uh, cooling, of, uh, et cetera, and all the optimizing all the other costs. And uh, and also, I would say, yeah, also the chip is one component. Yeah? But you, but uh, those differences in the chip are declining as we are going further down the nanometer size. So I I think I would I would agree that this becomes less and less in a part. Energy becomes a very important differentiator and i think all the other things around are very very important infrastructure etc so one thing that we didn't necessarily prep on but i think a lot of people i know a lot of family offices and a lot of people that have been focusing on sustainability and esg and climate have been very concerned about this i've gotten some feedback from people because in my past i spent a lot of time with climate and with climate tech and they kind of said oh well you're going to that bitcoin stuff isn't it ruining the environment can you tell us a little bit about you know, kind of the access and the usability of renewable energy as it relates to mining? How big of it is it? How big of a narrative is that becoming? Absolutely. I think um, uh, this is a topic that on the first sight might be really uh, that concerning. And then when you hear about like the consumption of the Bitcoin, all the whole Bitcoin network, uh, then you really start yeah, giving that question some validity. Uh, if you look at it closer, however, um, you actually see that uh, it's not actually a problem at all, um, uh, and uh, or at least it's certainly not a radical problem that you might think. Uh, the reason for that is that um, the blockchain or in general mining um, has the great advantage that uh, that. The lo- uh, location does not matter so much, and um, and that makes it uh, flexible for every miner to go to go basically close to the energy source, and um, where also the electricity is naturally cheapest because you don't have to pay for electricity transport, and um, and luckily uh, renewable sources are uh, the cheapest resources that we. That we know, and the great thing is, renewable sources are uh, more than plenty, uh, are more than enough available on the whole uh, planet. And um, that being said, basically gives the Bitcoin network um, uh, as many uh, energy as 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 we want. I mean, we could build up solar fields, we could build mining facilities uh, below the dams, we could uh, build them below the uh, geothermal. Uh, plants, for example, in North, in Iceland, and um, there is more than enough uh, available. So, um, so I think that should answer the question. I mean, yep. we 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 are not we don't need we we don't need to consume. We 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 can consume more than uh, more than enough green and renewable sources mm-hmm. to fulfill all the demand. Right, and the proximity, and we've seen, and I wanted to make this a point because we've seen. <clears throat> many places where mining facilities are setting up, you mentioned the proximity, they're setting up right next to solar fields. Um, and no one else can really do that. So they're setting up in the proximity really close so you don't have to pay for high transmission. You can set it up right there and you're basically on-prem. And so it's it's something that I think a lot of people need to recognize. Um, and I wanted just to highlight that as we're talking about mining. I know a lot of people have been keeping on this narrative that Bitcoin is dirty for the world, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted just to hit on that because there is another narrative there that a lot of people need to learn about. And we'll talk more about that on other shows. But as we're getting back to you, 
so you've been in this space now for seven years. Um, and I always like to say, as Zach Imanian, from, uh, formerly from Cosmos, always uh, kind of said is that one year in digital assets and crypto is 10 years in human life. So that's 70 years plus of experience for you. Um, and so can you walk us through a little bit of like, how things have changed and what you've witnessed in those 70 plus, you know, 70 some odd years? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, one thing up front, I mean, it has been an extremely exciting time from the beginning until now. And it is still, I, I wake up in the morning and I really feel sim similar excitement than I did at the beginning. Uh, there, because this community is just completely, in, in, incredibly uh, dynamic and uh, you and every there is so much new things are, are continuously going on and so much things are happening also so that really just keeps you excited and keeps you involved and um, I think from my perspective um, what I'm seeing like if we really look back I mean let's say really I mean 2000s I mean when I really look back like the, for example one major event uh, I recall was in Hong Kong where we had that scaling debate and there was like this was like a, an origin of a major of a major um, uh, issue that really uh, expanded then more and more and uh, came in even into a war like between like the two camps and uh, and then but I think a lot of this tension has been resolved more or less I mean we, we have seen forks we have seen like different uh, directions like people are seeing Bitcoin differently in the future so they 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 forked it basically and had their and, and started their their own communities and um, I think in that regard a lot of the pressure and tension got got released which is good um, uh, I think what what's for sure is that like a lot like I mean we have seen so many ups and downs and every time we had these ups we had the people a lot more people short term um, quick money people. Uh, showed a lot of interest and entered the space and then also dropped out again. <laughs> and we've seen that really many times. And um, But I think what uh, what really um, is remarkable for me and what I, what I find very great about this community is that the core and really the fundamental community is uh, is really is, is still the same as from the beginning, uh, has grown, of course, also. But uh, you really, you still have these really fundamental believers and uh, be believers in the sense of developers, <coughs> believers in the sense of um, just believers they are in form of users um, or people who are educating and then also people uh, uh, and then believers also in form of business owners and um, who, who really drive the fundamental ecosystem. And right. um, talking about those, I would say that's clearly like the, um the uh, all the all the exchanges like mm -hmm. we have seen still like major exchanges from very early days that have been since 2011 that are still that are now the largest exchanges still uh we have seen like fundamental uh, the fundamental wallet providers most of them still exist and uh, also in the mining space i can say like um it has been a heavy consolidation uh but like the biggest miners that coexisted with us in the early days um most of them still exist it's not it's not a lot uh but uh, they have grown and they're also the the leading miners now um right. 
So in that regard, it it really it's really remarkable. So I want to jump into some recent news uh, regarding Bitcoin. So the network's hash rate sank from 136.2 quintillion hashes per second EHs on March 1st to 7.5 EHs uh, on March 26th last week, according to data from blockchain.com. Why is this important, if at all? Yeah, so that's a a remarkable point that you're bringing up because, um, I mean, one thing I have to say (coughs) is that Total hash, t- total network hash rate is not a uh, something that we can directly measure. So it's always when you look at these platforms, it's an estimate that basically is derived from uh, the blocks that have been found in a certain amount of time, um, uh, and and therefore there's a uh, the the total hash rate gets estimated, uh, but um, it doesn't change the fact. I mean, there has been a very major, significant drop. Um, that also led to a very major difficulty adjustment, a negative difficulty adjustment, I think 15% or so the last time. Uh, and, uh, and I think this is an, an, a very good example of the fundamental fact that, um, that hash rate follows price. <clears throat> and I really have to emphasize that because in the media, you sometimes hear or read uh, that uh, that price follows the hash rate. Yeah, um, I don't agree with with that uh, um, argumentation because in the end you have the price that is driven by supply and demand, mm-hmm. and based on that, miners are coming or are expanding or are reducing. And this particular moment, what you said, like where it goes from really 125 uh, uh, extra hashes down to like 75 or something. Um, is really uh, is um, is a is a result of uh, miners that were before the uh, the b- before the price crash uh, were already at a, at a very um, at, at a marginal profits mm-hmm. uh, or or just slight break evens and then you had a market crash and then miners had to make the consequence they're not running profitably so they had to turn off the the machines went out of the and basically. Uh, turned off the machines and therefore the price dropped. And right. uh, yeah, so uh, and and those were ma- mainly miners with like, yeah, um, it's, it's older generation of machines. But yeah, right. I want to equate it to something that for the institutional investor they may not understand it. So as it relates to oil to WTI here in the United States. There, obviously, we've seen uh, massive capitulation in price. Saudi Arabia and Russia have engaged in a oil war, so to speak, and so the price sunk or hit twenty dollars a barrel here in the United States yesterday. And I don't know what it's going to be like today, but might see that go lower. And so, for all of those that are basically drilling and you know doing the work to get the oil out of the earth, especially here in the Permian and other places. You know, they have their costs, their sunk costs, their machinery, their workers, all the things that go into bringing that oil to you, you know, for your car or for your house. And then effectively, so they have a sunk cost. They have a price that WTI needs to be at to be profitable, to keep those machines on, to keep those employees working. And so it's very similar in a sense, whereas Bitcoin, 
if it hits below a certain price point, and that can fluctuate depending on your equipment, and that can fluctuate depending on your infrastructure, as Marco alluded to, and that could also uh, fluctuate depending on very much your energy resource and your kilowatts per hour. And so if all of those things match rate, and as Marco said, you know, you come to a point where it's like, well, Bitcoin is X and my sunk cost is Y, you know, obviously if, you know, there's an imbalance there, you're going to shut the machines off because it doesn't, it's, you're basically going to be running in the red. And so I think a lot of people need to understand that it's, while we're talking about new technology and we're talking about something, a new asset, there are still things that are kind of similar from, you know, column A to column B. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, absolutely. And I think the analogy that you brought is a very precise and very good one. Um, and uh, the dynamics is really very similar to oil or also gold mining. Um, and there is just one exception in, in, in the dynamics, if I may add that. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very good one uh, for Bitcoin mining um, because it protects the downside. And that's, that uh, difference in the dynamics is that there is a fixed supply of coins that are mined every day. And that is not uh, necessarily in gold or in oil, because it can be that if, for example, the gold prices crash so much uh, that no mine at all is profitable anymore. And uh, theoretically, it can be that no, no gold mine is running <laughs> globally. Uh, and then there is no no gold excavated. Whereas in Bitcoin, in no matter what price it is, there's always the the fixed amount of uh, 1,800 coins. Now after the halving, 900 uh, bitcoins, and that is that is uh, that is uh, fixed. And that is very good. That is a that, this is really a downside protection. It's very technical now, but this is a downside protection for the leading for the for the most efficient miners because. As, as long as you can make sure that you are the most efficient miner, that means that you will be the last one that has to turn off. Um, and the others will be first in the reds when the profitability goes down. And then they have to turn off while you remain in the market. And then you gain automatically more market share and, uh, and get more coins while the profitability goes down, which compensates the, the downside. And... That is just great. I mean, that, of course, drives also a little bit centralization and uh, consolidation, but it's a great dynamic for, for mm -hmm. the leading miners. That's, that's very important that you added that, and thank you for doing that. So you brought up the halving. And so 43 days away, as people um, may or may not remember if they've listened to the show, halving is an uh, event that is already pre-programmed into the, the algorithm, the model uh, in Bitcoin. It is a reward uh, for miners out there. And so it was 12 and a half Bitcoin, uh, which is now uh, going down to six and a quarter. And that's on the hourly basis. And so that is happening in 43 days. And so some people have equated it to a supply change. Um, people in the Bitcoin community really don't like that, but people in traditional finance under, understand it more as a supply dynamic change, where if you have obviously pent up demand, the idea is if you have pent up demand and you have a dwindling supply because of the consensus change in the algorithm, um, then you have something that could be potentially uh, interesting for Bitcoin and the future of its uh, price. Um, but we don't go into the price and we don't talk about the forecasts of that. But what I'd like to know is that there is a split. 
there are some people that say that the uh, the happening is already baked into the current status of Bitcoin and the price, and there are others who are saying that it is not. Where do you stand on that now? Well, that's a very tricky question. I mean, usually I always say uh, you should assume that it's priced in because it's really such a predictable event. And I mean, it is on our calendar since long time. We know and we prepare halvenings. It's basically our daily bread and butter. Uh, it's absolute clear and predictable event. Um, but I always still get surprised. And I think also in the last events, last halvings, uh, you, yeah, you, you still see uh, effects, uh, short-term effects, and uh, um, we will see. I mean, one thing is for sure, on the halving uh, event, the supply will get reduced from 1,800 to 900, and that implicates that, uh, I, that the difficulty will adjust, and I would say it will adjust somewhere between um, I would say 70 and uh, and 100 percent of the current hash rate, uh, but I don't want to go like uh, everything else is like pure speculation. And uh, um, I think for me, what the only thing is what counts is I mean we're all in it for the long term, mm-hmm. and the halving is a very predictive predictable event. And uh, I think halving is good for the also for the mining industry because it stresses the uh, the importance of uh, uh, efficiency mm-hmm. so uh, only the most efficient miners will basically result positively from from that and the mining space consolidates again and clears out um, and uh, yeah and usually uh, the price has a tendency to go up of course when there's less supply but if it's priced in or not really I would I would be uh, I would just speculate if I would give you an answer to, to know that. Right. And again, I like to make analogies for people who might understand the nuances here. So imagine back in the day you were running an e-commerce business and this is like maybe 2002, 2003, and you're running a dial-up. And so you're having that, you know, kind of sound and it's a dial-up and it's slow internet connection. And then, you know, your neighbor, you know, across the street is running another e-commerce type of business and he's got, you know, a T1 line. It's, it's fast. You know, he's, you know, able to get things processed, you know, very, very quickly. And so he's probably going to start winning a lot more business because people are going to get tired of waiting for the e-commerce site. They don't want to have to keep on buffering. And so they're going to switch over to the other you know, competitor. They're going to go to the other side where things are you know, moving much more efficiently and quickly. So again, it's, you know, I, I've heard this comment that obviously the happening will you know, obviously make those that are out there much more efficient because of this. So it's an interesting thing to watch. I just want to, obviously, I try to make things more analogous for people who don't understand the nuance. Um, but yeah, it's something that we're all watching, something that we've all been aware of, uh, and something, as I said, again, is happening in about 43 days. And so you can track that if you're listening. You can track that. Uh, you can just literally Google uh, Bitcoin happening, and uh, the site will come up to show you how long that is happening. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, there's two last things. Um, I wanted to learn a little bit more about Genesis Hive. Um, and then I also wanted to hear what's happening with you and the company and the obviously all the infrastructure that you have and your thoughts on COVID as it relates to Bitcoin. So first, Genesis Hive, and then getting some thoughts on obviously the global pandemic as it relates to Bitcoin and mining and the entire ecosystem. All right. Uh, two very 
um, interesting question. So, I mean, let me start with uh, with Genesis Hive. I think uh, Genesis Hive to keep it to make it simple is a um, a tool that we have developed since now 2014, which is basically um, uh, we developed it in house for us. Uh, uh, to um, monitor large-scale mining operations and make them as most efficient as possible. Uh, and I'm talking about all those nuances and all those details that matter in the end and that sum up for your all-in all, all efficiency of the whole mi mining farm. And that is, for example, like a, the, it measures, like Genesis Hive measures the every temperature and every chip uh, the maps basically the whole mining facility uh, makes a gradient map so that our engineers can immediately see where our uh, hot spots and where our like chips not running at their best efficiency. It also tweaks the efficient the, it tweaks the chips um, at an optimal frequency because as you probably know or might know that um, every chip is individual every uh, every 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 kind of chip yeah, if it's cpu gpus asics they are all individual because of the manufacturing process and uh, you can fine tune uh, they run you can fine tune them by running different frequencies and you can uh, optimize the performance on on that so all of these things are done with uh, genesis hive uh, we are very proud of that um, and uh, i think tools like that are what really making the difference in the end in the global competitive mining landscape uh, when really it comes down to the details. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's a tool that we also might think of, uh, of, of offering uh, to the public, um, but um, I don't see it really as a community tool because it is really specifically made for large scale um, mining and large-scale mean really meaning tens of tens of thousands of machines and that's not something that you can run at home um, but yeah I mean uh, I think uh, that's uh, that's certainly something we are very excited and we, we really keep innovating and and and, uh, and improving more and more mm -hmm. uh, and then well on the global crisis I mean <laughs> it's like completely crazy right I mean who would have thought that an event like that would change the world so radically in such a short amount of time? Um, and uh, I mean, I think quite a lot of people from the community uh, went into Bitcoin because they think there is a crisis coming. And now we have it. Uh, I think um, the, on, the, on one hand, of course, the virus itself, but uh, the economical components that are following on that are ma maybe even the ones that have the, the more radical impact. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's a, a very interesting uh, times now, very sad, obviously, also. But I think this is a time where Bitcoin can now prove uh, itself uh, as a, a prime asset in in crisis times and i think we will see we will see whether that it will fulfill that right i agree and obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation i wouldn't have this podcast if i obviously didn't see that a 
asset that was born from financial ruin and chaos, obviously, would be something that would be prevalent today. So I agree with you. I think we have we have a lot to bear witness to this year. And so last parting thoughts, uh, as I mentioned to all my guests, there are two things that we like to talk about just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, one is what have you read recently? Any books or anything out there that has really resonated with you and any music that you like, uh, while you're working, traveling, although everyone is staying home these days. So what music you might be listening to at home, um, and any books that you like? Well, what am I reading? Let's see. Uh, actually I'm currently reading a book. It's called the outsiders, uh, from William Thorndike. And, uh, yeah, it's actually a very good book um, um, where I really have to say I, it, quite a lot of things that I that I really took with with me and uh, and, and I learned from it. It's basically a book that describes uh, outsider CEOs um, that have really shown phenomenal performance uh, in their uh, in their time where they were CEOs of of various companies and that have really showed heavy outperformance of the markets they were in um and i'm really talking about like 20 times uh s p 500 or like really heavy uh, significant outperformance and <clears throat> i think the thing that i learned from that book was that it is very important for a ceo uh to give enough priority to the topic of topic of uh, capital allocation and um uh, that really plays a major role, and he gives like a lot of scenarios and examples uh, um, how that was important at various times. I think Warren Buffett is one very good example with Berkshire Hathaway. He never gave, he never delegated uh, the the decisions for where to allocate capital and uh, how much uh, to where. And uh, I think the other thing was just that like discipline is extremely important, and that you have like you follow your your route and why you believe in uh and, and what you believe in um so that's a really good book and uh, uh and um regarding music uh, i mean i i really like uh, electronic music in general and uh yeah I, favorite dj or producer uh well uh it's various but i like uh i would say armin van buren is very nice um, and there are many others. Like uh, I, I think it's really amazing to see. Like uh, it's so it's so manifold. Uh, I would say uh, electronic music because you can make so much. The spectrum of sounds you can make is so high, and that really leaves a lot of uh, um, creativity room for creativity. So um, that's cool. And actually, I was just recently also in like um, in uh, in a concert in a. <laughs> I'm not very. I'm not listening a lot to classical music, but I was recently in a event where they uh, basically played a movie. Um, uh, what was it actually? I think it was James Bond or so. And then they had like an orchestra playing in front of that screen. Oh wow! And uh, that was like really mind blowing. That uh, really like I, I I don't play an instrument, but that showed like how important music actually is in. In, in a movie and how it can make that movie so much more colorful uh, awesome. if you have a whole orchestra with it. Yeah. 
So funny story. My first, uh, I, as people know, I, I was a DJ back in the day. And so my first proper gig was in Chicago around 2001, 2002, opening for AVB in front of 3,000 people. So I played from 10, a, 10 p.m. to about 1 a.m. And then AVB uh, took over. And so that was my first proper gig. And so uh, thank you for bringing that back up. Um, AVB has been uh, an important an important person in my life. I, I mean, like I, one other thing that I really, I mean, being a DJ or in general, like also being an artist, I mean, that's also such a cool thing, right? To, to like all, all I really admire you having, having the privilege to do that because in the end you're making a lot of people happy. Like a lot of people coming to your concert and you're, you do what you like and like, and uh, and you make a lot of people happy. So I think that's yeah. really great if you have the privilege to. It was a fun time in my life. It was a fun time in my life. Um, so the last thing that we like to do with guests is where can people find out more about Genesis Group? Where can they connect with you? Well, they can certainly find a lot about the company, about the, uh, the group itself on www.genesis-group.com. And also on genesis-mining.com. I think that's probably very known to everybody. And uh, and genesiscloud.com without the hyphen. Uh, and then, of course, on my Twitter and on our Genesis Mining Twitter and uh, Facebook, we're also there. Uh, and we try to keep everybody up to date and, um, and keep communicating. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation with you, Marco. This was Marco Strang, the CEO and co-founder of Genesis Group. Um, Marco, thank you for joining us today. This was an enlightening conversation about uh, the world and mining and how it relates to the current landscape. Marco, hopefully we can have you on you know, towards the end of the year, talk more about music, talk more about Bitcoin, see what's happening after the halving, and we'll talk to you soon. Sure. Always uh, a pleasure. Thank you, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.